0: Join us as we gather around the hedge where we dig into technology, business, and culture with the finest minds in computer networking.
1: Well, uh, Nick... You have a large wall of foam behind you. Nick has been embedded in foam, everybody. I don't know what happened, but Nick Russo, his house has been converted to a foam house. So,
0: <laughs> I don't know what's going yeah, on there. It's nice, it's nice and quiet. I'm in my, in my dark and cold corner of the room, and uh, <laughs> this is how I like it. <laughs>
2: And he has Corona wall and Corona haircut. Perfect. (laughs) Perfect.
1: And if you can't tell, uh, our guest, uh, the second person on with me today is Ivan Pepinyak. And it's awesome to have Ivan back on. And today we are talking about, can you really trust routing protocols? Now, what was it you said before, Ivan? There was something else you said.
2: Uh, Well, the answer is no, obviously. Right, right. uh, Sorry, (laughs) we can stop recording, but maybe we'll go for another hour.
1: (laughs) You, You said... He said, in in routing, we trust it, all others use static or something like that. <laughs> exactly.
2: As you know, for the last two years, uh, as anyone reading my blog regularly knows, I've been fighting the windmills of bad uh, vendor designs in EVPN. Because some people think that, hey, you really need BGP as the routing protocol in the data center because if it worked for Peter at Microsoft, you simply must use it in your four uh, switch Leaf and Spine design.
1: Right. Which, by the and, way, I think is just flat and lazy. But well, anyway. it's
2: worse than that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs>
2: yeah. And then, obviously, vendors with, uh, let's say... Uh, Well-aged BGP implementations uh, do have a problem uh, putting EVPN on eBGP, so they come up with all sorts of crazy designs, like running IBGP over eBGP and spoofing AS numbers all over the place just so that everything looks like one AS if you look at EVPN and multiple ASs if you look at IBV4. And I call that crazy and people get upset at me. I don't know why. It gets worse because some people are trying to use technical arguments to persuade me of, you know, the errors of my way. One of the persuasion uh, arguments was, you know what, if you run eBGP only, then, uh, well, the next hop is changed on every hop. And I was like, well, if your implementation works that way, it's playing wrong, so go on. It was like, yeah, but you know, the next hop really should be the VTAB, the loopback address of the edge switch in EVPN. And I was like, yeah, that's like inter AS option C in uh, MPLS VPN, so what's the big deal? And he was like, but you know what? You can't really trust that that next hub, because it's a third party next hub, that it's reachable. Uh, because you know, if I would be running uh, IBGP sessions between the loopback interfaces of my switches, then I would know that the loopbacks are reachable. Whereas in your case, you can't. And I could even use BFD between the loopbacks to validate that they're reachable. And so I started thinking, you know, about all the implications of using next hops and trusting them, and all possible things that can go wrong. And in the end, figure out that uh, you know, EVPN is the list of your problems because there are so many other things that can go wrong.
1: <laughs> so let's back up one second and talk about why we have third-party next hops in EBGP. Because I mean, a lot of people use them for loopbacks, but there's actually a worst case, which is. They're originally designed for broadcast segments, right? They're originally third-party next hops are designed for. Well, broadcast just
2: segments. say for an Internet Exchange Point because people don't right. know what a broadcast segment is,
1: <laughs> or an Ethernet, right? An, an IXP fabric where you are advertising as a speaker reachability to a destination to a reachable destination an LRI that is not through you; it's through someone else.
2: That was the original intent. Yeah. Let's make this more explicit. Let's say that Nick, because he's at the bottom of my gallery view in Zoom, is the route server. So you, Russ, you are advertising Nick, your prefix with you being the next hop. And now Nick is advertising this prefix to me being the route server. That's the idea of the route server. So we don't have to talk to each other. We just know all the prefixes because Nick is a nice guy propagating everything. Now, obviously, Nick is doing us a favor. He doesn't want to see any traffic between us. (laughs) That's (laughs) right. So the only thing he can do is he can use this feature of BGP where he can set next hop to anything, including the address of the pigeon in New Zealand. So he sets the next hop of your prefix to what you said the next hop was, even though EBGP would usually set the next hop to itself or whatever, because this has been going on since EBGP was created. It's, I think it's even built in the RFC, right?
1: It is, oh yes, it's built in the RFC.
2: And it's built in every EBGP code I've ever seen. Yep. If the original next hop and my neighbor are on what I think is the same subnet, I will just keep the next hop unchanged. That's right. Which totally breaks DMVPN Hub and Spoke designs by the way, but that's a different story.
1: So in this case we're talking about EBGP and iBGP. iBGP is an overlay, EBGP is an underlay, and the impact of using the loopbacks as your next hops, right? And how yeah. that is essentially a third-party next hop, but it's not just a third-party next hop, it's actually a multi-hop next hop, exactly. right? Yeah. Which makes it a bit worse. In many ways,
2: well, uh, there are uh, effectively two things here. A, can I trust you as my BGP neighbor to advertise uh, your best intentions to me? And if the answer is no, then we can just stop talking. The other question is: Can I trust your same judgment? Then the next hop you are sending me is the best you can do. If the answer to that one is no, then yet again we can just stop talking.
1: Well, but now there's a secondary problem there, which is that your idea of the of the best you can do might be different than my idea of the best you can do,
2: right? Um, let's not go there. I mean, I, I agree with you. <laughs> That well, brings us to the famous next hop self on IBGP sessions. Right, exactly. Because if that's a, let's say that now uh, Nick uh, is the, a third-party autonomous system. Uh, we are talking over IBGP, Russ and myself. So Russ sending me Nick's prefix would still use Nick's IP address as the next hop because Russ, being a polite person, would go like, you know what, you really might want to know who the real next hop is because in case you have a better path to the next hop, I really want you to take the best, best path to the next hop. I don't want to force you to go through me. That's yet again the default behavior of eBGP converted into an IBGP update. The only problem is that if we don't get the underlay routing right, I might look at that update and say, who the heck is Nick? That brings us to the well-known problem of next hop is unreachable In this route is invalid and sorry, you have a troubleshooting exercise on your hand.
1: So that's where you went with these blog posts about um, the next hop and IBGP over EBGP over a data center fabric, right? Yeah.
2: To make matters even worse, now let's say that everything works right and we get the the next hops right. I trust your next hop and uh, you think that Nick is the best next hop for me and I see Nick in my routing table, so I know that I know how to get to Rick and I send my packets toward Nick. I never send my packets to Nick, that's important. I do a recursive lookup and I look at what my routing table is saying was the best path to Nick. And then I send the packet down that path. And anyone in the path could go like, hmm, I don't like you. And it could be something as easy as the guy in the middle just not speaking BGP and he doesn't know about the destination prefix that I'm trying to reach. And even though he knows how to get to Nick, we all know how to get to Nick, but he never heard about Nick's prefix. So even though I know that that's the right path, the guy in the middle is clueless.
1: Which is actually the genesis of route synchronization in early BGP days.
2: Exactly
1: you automatically redistribute all your bgp routes into your igp
2: no you had to manually configure that but yeah you you redistributed right. that right. and you didn't trust an ibgp route until you got the same route through ospf because that's, then you knew
1: they that the the next time.
2: <laughs> everyone on the path knows where the destination prefix is that's right and obviously, we stopped doing that when the global internet routing table reached like 1,000 prefixes, right? Right. <laughs> exactly. But it was still in Cisco iOS for a decade after that. And it was on every CCIE lab exam. And I can talk about that now because that thing doesn't exist in iOS anymore, I guess.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it might still. We used to use it as a back end trick to make certain things work, believe it or not.
2: Uh, Yeah, I believe you. But now it's turned off by default. Yeah, now it's turned off by default. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So so that's like the simplest scenario. Another one might be that, uh, you know what, my path to Nick worked yesterday, but today a link went down and I'm on a backup path and there's a packet filter on the backup path. And even though I see the next hop, I can't actually send any packets there because the packet filter is blocking them. From control plane perspective, everything is awesome. Everyone did everything just right. We all did the best we could and still the packets aren't going through.
1: Another instance of this is that someone in the middle has done a static route towards the next stop that is not showing up in BGP.
2: Or IGP or anywhere else. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, and then uh, and then we can start getting into weird scenarios like, hmm, how do we know that packet forwarding actually works? So how do we know that ASICs are programmed correctly? And we don't. Mm-hmm. Right,
1: we don't. And so the immediate response for a lot of people is going to be, why don't I just run ping something to make sure that this is actually working, BFD or something.
2: Yeah, you see the the problem with BFD is that uh, depending on implementation, it could be answered in ASIC or it it could be going to the CPU, punted to the CPU and answered by the CPU. So depending on what type of hardware you have, do you really test the ASIC? Or do you test that the CPU is alive?
1: And, and also, are you testing to the actual destination or are you only testing to the next hop? Yeah. Because it could, it could well be that they know that, that you're be able to reach the next hop, but you're not able to reach the destination through that next hop. So now, so now you've got to like run BFD for every potential destination you want to be able to get to. Oh,
2: yeah, wow. Well, uh, Jeff Tantura actually wrote a comment to that blog post of mine saying, you know what? Once I implemented a system where on every ingress router, I would collect all the BGP next hops and there are only a finite number of BGP next hops, usually all your egress routers. And I would automatically establish multi BFD sessions to all of them and track whether I can actually reach them, which is awesome. And it uh, probably detects like 95% of stupidities. Still doesn't detect the one where the intermediate routers don't have the BGP routing configured properly. So we are missing the prefixes. Still doesn't detect the case where uh, infrastructure access control list is letting BFD through, but not the actual traffic. Still doesn't detect the the case of broken label switch path in the middle, so that you think that the whole thing is going through on a virtual circuit. In reality, somewhere in the middle, the packet pops up of the virtual circuit and the router looks at the packet and goes like <laughs> What are you doing here? <laughs> and collects the bit bucket and smashes the packet into the bit bucket and doesn't even send an ICMP unreachable back. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So what's really
1: funny about this topic is, is I think that we tend to trust routing protocols. And yet these examples show that routing is really very it's you know
2: it's duct tape for us it's duct tape, it's duct tape.
1: <laughs> you know Radius says it, it's it's routing by rumor right and that's pretty much what it all is you know we just don't realize it but there are lots of other examples of this kind of thing right like um, 51 rc 5123 talks about like okay so i have the situation where i want a particular route to be not reachable to someone right? I don't want them to be able to reach a particular destination for security reasons. You know, I, I have some host or server that I want some people to be able to reach and other people not to. But unknown to me, somebody is advertising a default route downstream of me towards that host. Oops, it's reachable. <laughs> yeah.
2: No, you should never use routing as a security feature. Yeah. <laughs> Net is just... not a security feature and routing is not a security <laughs> feature.
1: You just can't know exactly what's going on um, with this stuff. Another really, really interesting was was one that um, Randy Bush and IIJ, uh, a bunch of guys from IIJ at Max Planck and some other places, uh, wrote with a, a research paper about this with BGP communities, right? And being able to, because every provider in the world gives you the ability to change Who they advertise to and what the local prep is downstream of them or in in their own network by using communities well that's like a huge open hole to do whatever i want to do with the routing table
2: (laughs) to be honest uh, that is only a problem because no one is taking i should rephrase no one is willing to invest any real money into routing security Because uh, honestly, if you do things right, then communities have your AS number in in them. And on every peering link, you should be scrubbing everything. And on every customer link, you should be scrubbing everything apart from your community and going out. On the peering link, you should only allow the communities that belong to the destination AS and scrub everything else. You should
1: not be transiting communities that exactly. you receive from a peer to another peer ever. Yes,
2: but this is should... like you know Tata leaking uh, Pakistan Telecom YouTube routes or <laughs> <laughs> whoever leaked Ross Telecom routes the last week or the week before.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, I think, I think it comes down to that this is, you know, this stuff is just, it, it's reachability information that's best effort, just like the packets are, it's themselves are, that are going across the Well,
2: door. it's the lowest cost, best effort thing. It's what, it's what can be good enough at the lowest possible cost. Or what would the customers tolerate before they will change the service provider?
1: Well, that's the bottom line, right? What do we tolerate before we say enough is enough, and we say go fix this, right? That's that's effectively yes. a lot of times what it comes down to. You know, you talk about some of the reasons that the next. I think the most, the, the very perceptive thing that you say here in this art, in this blog post that you wrote is that, um, and you have it in, you have it in italics if I can find it again, is that. It was reachability is not equal to functionality.
2: Yeah, that's actually Jeff Tanturas not mine.
1: I think that's the big thing, is that yeah, reachability... that's the
2: summary of three pages of my blog posts, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is, this is a huge, huge deal. And, you know, we just don't think about... We don't think about the communities having an effect on the way we route things. It's neat to have that feature, but... Hey, you know it opens a it opens a security hole. It opens an attack surface that we're not thinking about.
2: Yeah. Um, On the other hand, assuming that uh, we have a mechanism in place, like the manners guys are suggesting, uh, and manners, by the way, stands for mutual assured norms for routing security. I think that's correct. So what they're saying is, for God's sake, use the mechanisms we have. We don't care if you think RPKI is good or not. Using it will do less damage than not using it. Can we stop arguing? We know that uh, routing databases are not perfect, but can we start using them instead of aiming for the last 5% of perfection? If you do both of this, then we might get to a point where you might not be able to originate my prefixes, at least not very easily. And if we get to the point where you can't originate my prefixes, who cares what communities are carried in my prefixes?
1: Correct. Well, it still, but it still could have the impact. You still need to block them at each hop or something like well, that. Well, uh, it, it
2: has an impact, but the impact is solely, you know, Against me, so you know there is no cure for stupidity.
1: <laughs> I don't know.
2: <laughs> well, there is one. Eventually, you get the Darwin Award for that, but that's a different.
1: Story. <laughs> I was gonna say we stop being stupid when
0: we die. Is that the?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, that's the terminal cure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the
0: terminal. Yeah. So, Ivan, I'm just I was I've been kind of quiet because I've just been thinking about a lot of what you've been saying, and I think I think a good way to summarize that is. Even if we can't, if we stop thinking about hardcore security and we just try to solve the problem of, let's see if we can reduce or eliminate these accidental hijacks or the misconfigurations that take down entire regions of the world by following the, the manners suite of best practices. If we do that, then I think I agree completely with that is if people are able to follow those different General you know, best practices and, and do the communities the way they're suggested, and do uh, RPKI the way it's suggested, acknowledging that there are still security gaps there, it would at least prevent some of the unintentional errors from occurring. and if you really wanted to hijack someone's prefixes, it would, you'd really have to work, and it would have to be somebody really dedicated to doing that malicious attempt. And having worked in, in the US government you know, military sector for about ten years, this is something we debate you know similarly internally. There's a lot of, well, if we do X, it will give us pretty good security, but then there's always someone else who's like, well, nation states can still penetrate that. And we're like, well, if we can stop the script kiddies and the other casual, you know, Google search hacker types, then we're in a good position like let's worry about the nation states later once we can yeah. secure our systems to a base level of functionality. And I think a lot of people are missing that uh, in the community at large. I think this goes back to intent as well. Uh, like I, my blog post on this, it goes back so to So
2: no podcast is ever complete without mentioning intent, right? That's right, that's, that's okay. you've got Sorry. to talk Go about on.
1: intent. No, it's <laughs> fine, but, but in a different way, right? So here's what we're talking about, like, okay, so in the data center case where you're talking about the next top, we know what the intent of the designer is and we know what the intent of the person who built the routing protocols are, but that intent does not always translate into actual route reachability or functionality, right? That's just, it's just the way it is that you can't necessarily translate the intent the way you think you can. There's an, there, there's an abstraction layer between you and the thing that you're trying to get done called a routing protocol, get over it. (laughs) And so, go ahead, Ivan. (laughs) Uh,
2: in, in, In the particular case that you are mentioning, we all know what the intent is. Learn the reachability of the uh, edge vTabs because that's what we need for VXLAM forwarding. And learn the reachability of actual customer endpoints, be it uh, MAC addresses or IP addresses. And how do we link those with the VTab IP addresses? That's the intent. And honestly, I don't care if you use pigeons for that.
1: I, I think we should do a draft for that.
2: Uh, well, actually, you do you. know that uh, <laughs> they did ping over pigeons. Oh yeah, of course. Of course. Well we should do EVPN ever pigeons. Oh well, we can do that, yeah. Although in data center they might get confused, but that's a different story.
1: <laughs> Had to have well trained pigeons because the topology is so de- mesh or yeah. so dense.
2: <laughs> well maybe we can use rats. <laughs> rats. <laughs> anyway. So we don't care how the whole thing is implemented. And if you talk about some intent-based system where I just say, I need the loopbacks and I need the mapping of customer endpoints into loopbacks and you build the whole thing for me, then honestly, I don't care whether it's uh, EBGP or IBGP or IBGP over EBGP or IBGP over RIP or whatever you want.
1: RIP, RIP, by the way, is the perfect routing protocol for data center fabric. Yeah, of course. Which, I mean, which is obvious because we convert BGP into RIP when we run it that way.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, come on, Uh, you don't have uh, unequal cost paths in uh, data centers anyway. It's all hop count.
1: (laughs) That's right. So whatever. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Why do we bother RIP forever? (laughs) So anyway, uh, I don't care what the intent-based system does behind the scenes as long as I don't have to troubleshoot that. That's right. The moment that thing breaks and the moment someone expects someone to start digging into the mess that that thing has generated, then I start caring about what it did. And,
1: and you can't it, make the excuse that it's never going to break. Of course
2: it will break. <laughs> it's just a question of when and how. <laughs>
1: This is, I hear that all the time too. Well, it's not gonna, it's not gonna break. Don't worry.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well, you believe that. <laughs> Good luck with that one. If you believe that, then you need more medication than I thought.
1: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, so I think that's 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 correct. I mean, that's uh, but then that goes back to the intent of am I trying to solve the problem or am I trying to solve the problem in an elegant way that makes it where I have good MTTR and I have good, you know, how broad is my intent? Is my intent just to get it working or is my intent to get it working in an elegant way that makes it possible for me to work on it in the
2: future? But you see, that's the problem because we're, I haven't seen any intent-based system where you would be able to specify this intent.
1: <laughs> Level of troubleshooting complexity is <laughs> on my intent-based system. Yeah, but I think we see the same thing in the EBGP case, right? We see the same thing in this community case that Randy Bush and the guys at, uh, at, in this research paper are talking about, which is that... You, you don't know what the intent of these communities are.
2: Coming back to the particular community case, if it is a stupid end user hurting himself by setting bad communities, do you care? Probably not. Um, I mean, the only thing that I, as the operator, would have to prevent is someone gaming my system with uh, my communities to implement any sort of hot potato, cold potato, whatever transit routing that I don't want to be involved with. Yeah, forcing me to take a higher cost
1: link than I would normally use. For example.
2: Yeah. But uh, that's very simple. I mean, I can stop that simply by blocking all the communities I react to from the untrusted uh, peering points.
1: Right, I should only accept those communities from my customers and I shouldn't accept communities that, the pro- the problem for me is as, a, as the, so I have a customer who is a transit, let's say, which mm-hmm. isn't necessarily all that common, but let's say it's true. I have a customer who's a transit, so they're transiting traffic to me. When I receive a community that impacts my routing decision, I don't know if it was my customer that said it, or whether it was their customer who said it.
2: Yeah. Uh, Well, I I had exactly that same scenario, but from a slightly different perspective. Let's say I'm a customer of two regional ISPs, who are connected to two different tier one or tier two ISPs. I want to use one path as primary and the other path as backup. So just signaling to my direct providers doesn't achieve that because they're not peering. I have to send send a signal through them to their providers because those guys are peering somewhere to select one path or the other. So we have to leak communities, at least a few autonomous systems, at least till, I don't know, the first tier one provider or something.
0: Yeah. I don't have
2: a good answer to that, but you know, yeah. just saying leaking communities is bad, is not necessarily the right answer,
0: right? Yeah. So, so if I understand, Ivan, you're you're trying to solve the problem of uh, being specific about your ingress BGP policy at the internet edge, where you know traditionally we use things like AS path prepending, but we all know that's not necessarily reliable. Um, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. So this is kind of an alternative to that, you know, with, you know, again, we don't want to go down the road of uh longer, you know, leaking longer match routes, which will definitely work. And we don't want to go down the path of using NAT for symmetry, which is probably an even worse answer. And it, you know, uh, you know, it's funny because that's why we have uh network prefix translation for IPv6 now is one of the multi homing cases for this, this, uh, to, to gain symmetry or to do uh, policy routing based on this, uh, based on that specific use case, is one of the reasons they created it. But it's kind of interesting that if we have, uh, I'll, I'll call them long-range communities or long-lived communities that can be filtered through up the network up to uh, you know a, a tier one or wherever those two ISPs peer where the where the where the action of the communities actually matters. I think that's a pretty interesting approach. And I think I, I think I generally agree with you that so long as those communities are allowed to be passed through in some meaningful way and that they don't have any negative implications on the transit carriers along that path, I think I think it could generally work. Now I don't know exactly how I would implement or operate it because I'm just thinking about it now for the first time, but in general, I think I agree with you.
2: Yeah, well, in uh, all cases, the communities are used to increase or decrease local preference. In uh, many cases, the service providers set local preference on their customer links because they want to talk to their customers directly. They don't want to go through some peering point. And the moment a service provider starts setting local preference on the customer prefixes, ASPath prepending stops working. So you can prepend all you wish if I set uh, higher local preference on the prefix, sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you can also use communities to set ASPath preprint too, in many cases. So you can mess yeah. around with uh, that
2: way. So communities are always primarily used to influence path selection in ways that we can't do with uh, BGP on its own. Whether that gets translated into local preference or path prepending is a different story. Right. But yeah, I know a lot of large service providers who have communities like, oh, prepend three times on European exchange points or something like that.
1: Right. Right. And to make matters worse, you know that in some implementations anyway, not all, there's the ability to have a custom decision point in BGP. Oh, so
2: it's not defined BGP.
1: Yes. Oh, you didn't know this? I mean, I actually wrote, helped write these drafts, so
2: <laughs> I'm at fault. Okay, point.
1: tell me more. But there but there is a custom decision process that you can in some some implementations you can write write a community into a particular kind of community into your BGP update. And you can say, I want to insert a new decision point ahead of local pref. And anybody who has this community goes, this route is preferred and that route is not preferred based on this local custom decision process. So you're actually inserting decision steps into the best path decision process, the 14 step BGP best path.
2: But is that the uh, cost community or something? Yes, the cost community. That's yeah, but right. that's, that's just extending the uh, 14 step decision process into 15 step decision process.
1: That's right, that's right. It's not but
2: inserting custom uh, decision points into the decision process, it's, pre, it's pre-programmed still.
1: Well, but, but the way the draft is written, you could insert anywhere. Oh, cool. <laughs> You know, but the implementation. Anyone implement that? No, the implementations have been done such that you cannot. Yeah. So let's talk about one thing that's been th- that people are trying to do to solve this. We talked a little bit about it before, which is P- RPKI. So Nick, you talked a little bit about this and and how you know and and uh, Yvonne talked about this a little bit with uh, manners, but the RPKI is an interesting partial solution. But again, you come down to intent, don't you? Like just because it's signed doesn't mean that I know for certain that's what you intended to do. That's, so that's that's kind of one of those things where things can get very interesting. Yeah, okay,
2: yeah. let's get the elephant out of the room, right? RPKI just ensures that whoever has originated the prefix actually had the private key to sign it. If I manage to get that update, I can do whatever I wish with the rest of the update.
1: That's correct.
2: Because just the prefix is signed as belonging Mm -hmm. to the originating AS. So 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 this is
0: limited to just the the origin... AS validation, not necessarily path validation, right? This, there is no path validation in our right. AI. Yeah. Right, that's what But, you know, Russ and I have talked about this in the past.
2: No, as we are flattening the curve now, we are also <laughs> flattening the internet. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, so, if you look at what's going on, Uh, People like Cloudflare are present in what? uh, 200 something or whatever the last number is of internet exchange points. So for them, anyone sitting at any one of those 200 odd exchange points is one hop away.
1: That's right. The average AS path in the internet has not shifted off of four point something since 1980, whatever it is. It's, yeah. it's been four hops.
2: Right? And uh, with people like Cloudflare, for them, ev- most everything is one hop away. And if you validate the origin AS in a one hop <laughs> AS path, you're done.
0: Yeah, I think it was Jeff from APNIC who wrote uh, an article. I think it was titled The Death of Transit. It's a few years old. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I read that and it, it, I don't remember exactly what it said, but it kind of foreshadowed what we're talking about right now with, again, the flattening of the internet, the usage of IXs to uh, more densely interconnect providers so that we don't have to have the more hierarchical transit based approach.
2: Well, and it gets even more interesting because eventually, what well, you can make the, con- uh, the content more local or you can bring the proxies to the content closer to the destination AS or origin AS. And then you have people like uh, Amazon or Azure or Google offering their private backbone for your traffic. So you get from the big bad internet into their backbone as soon as you can and of course you pay for the privilege but most of the time you spend so the long-haul transit is actually spent on one of their private backbones if you're using cloudflare you have the argo routing which is effectively the same thing so it is client to proxy protected tunnel to another cloud cloudflare proxy and then out to the toward the origin server So Cloudflare is controlling like 90% of the path, and I'm pretty sure that they do TLS and uh, bi-directional validation on those tunnels. So a bit harder to spoof those. You can bring them down. People have proved that it can be done. And if there's Verizon involved, hooray.
1: But the thing to remember about this is is that even when you do all of this, even when you do RPKI, even if you did the full-on BGP sack and blah, 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 and whatever you want to do, that BGP doesn't have a way to validate withdrawals or to validate that I should continue, that I'm allowed to continue advertising something once I've received the initial advertisement. Once I give Cloudflare my route, they have it.
2: Or
0: whoever, Done. yeah.
1: Yeah, it doesn't matter whether or not I would draw my route to them, <laughs> who cares?
0: <laughs> yeah, they, can they can still, can just advertise. Spoof it. They can still yeah. advertise it, yeah.
1: They can still advertise, yeah, they it. Can
2: advertise it, and the moment you, well... I mean,
1: that's if what someone they're supposed can, to
2: do. Uh, If someone can bring you offline... And they can bring you offline by uh, DDoS attack because the moment they hose your link, your BGP sessions go down and automatically your. Uh, that's cool. <laughs> oh, How yes. to hijack anyone in the world of RPKI. Awesome.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Exactly. So even if you do this, this all comes down to trust and intent, right? At some point, like you said in your article, you just got to get on with your life because routing does work most of the time. You just it just is what it is, and you have to trust it and do your best to figure it out as a as an engineer or as an organization to make sure you're doing the right thing. And this goes all the way from the data center fabric to the eBGP edge, to the internet core, to the DFZ. It doesn't matter. It works pretty darn good. What are you going to do?
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think I think the other, you know, another big advantage of, of BGP just in general is that it's so, so old and so well deployed. I mean, I, again... I Are was you talking about me, Nick? Are you no, tra- no, no, no.
2: <laughs> well, maybe. No, you're not well deployed. I was about to say, I mean, I, I, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I was, I, I was five years old in 1990. And I'm pretty sure that's when like BGP4 came out. So maybe you guys were deploying it back then. But uh, it, yes, it's been around for a did. long time. Yeah, it's been around for a long time. And you know, it, the individual vendor implementations, and even in uh, you know open source projects like like FRR and, and Quagga and whatever else, the implementations are pretty good. And, and while I think Russ is. Russ's point is absolutely correct about you know once you receive an rpki validated route you can spoof it you can you know even if your peer withdraws it you can just keep sending it out and just completely wreck that that peer and suck in all their traffic and discard it or whatever you know again coming back to intent assuming that everyone actually wants the internet to work and assuming that these peers are going to be nice to each other and assuming that Providers want their customers to be happy and no one is going out of their way to break these things. In general, the system works, but like you said, Russ, as long as we all keep holding hands and no one breaks ranks, (laughs) things are okay. Uh, But when we start to think about people who are really interested in actually breaking it and actually interested in causing damage and mayhem, that's where the problems come in and I think that's where a lot of these security minded people tend to focus their efforts.
1: I always used to say that the reason barbarians always win is it's always easier to destroy than it is to build. Yeah. And so that is what it is. I mean, like,
2: you know. yeah, but uh, also, uh, Nick, like you said. <laughs> of all the incidents are made by, in your case, script kiddies or in internet case, uh, well-intentioned people with fat fingers or uh, vendors who can't decide whether a parameter in a BGP configuration command means AS number or number of ASs in the prepended path (laughs) and whether they should ignore the high order bit or not. That's a different story. Uh, That's how we brought down internet like a decade ago or so. If we fix that, if we fix the 95% of the uh, bad things that happen out there, everyone will live a quieter life. And yes, we will still have incidents and we will still have security problems and the bad guys will still be around, but at least the noise will be lower. So it will be easier to spot the real bad guys. What do you think?
0: I mean, this is this is exactly the same, you know, conversation we've had in my customers, you know, again, on the security topic is, you know, if our systems can be compromised by low level people, then the threats that come from nation states are going to be completely undetected because they're professionals, they're well funded, they're well backed If you're on a sinking, yeah, long story short, if you're, yeah, long story short, if you're on a sinking ship, you plug the biggest holes first that, um, you know, I hate to say it, but common sense goes a long way with just about everything and, and networking is no exception. Right, Exactly. I think that's a that's a great place to end right there. Awesome.
1: Yvonne I'll start with you. Ipspace.net. And then something on Twitter. I'm not
2: sure what it is. Reminder of good old days. It's iOS hints. It's the <laughs> oh, days hints. when I thought that people would be interested in how weird features of Cisco iOS really work. Turns oh, out that's a want. lost cause,
0: but that's a different story.
1: <laughs> oh, come on. They still are.
0: <laughs> oh, that, that they always will be.
1: Thanks, Yvonne. Thanks for coming on. And uh, I'll, you know, we'll send people your direction. Nick,
0: where can people find you if they want to find you? Yep, so my website is njrusmc.net and on Twitter at NickRusso42518. Awesome, thanks. And I'm Russ White, you can always catch me at rule11.tech, at RoutingGeek on Twitter.
1: Not that I answer direct messages very much. And uh, here on The Hedge. Thanks guys for coming on.
0: Subscribe to The Hedge on your favorite podcast service or follow along at rule11.tech.